If you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. New Testament book of Mark. This morning we will be in chapter 14. We're going to read verses 12 to 26. If you're a guest with us, we are working our way verse by verse through this gospel where Mark presents to us what life with God looks like through Jesus, what his kingdom looks like, what it means to follow Jesus. And we are inching our way towards the cross and all of the events that happened the night before. And this morning, we're going to be looking at one of the fundamentals of that story and one of the fundamentals of our faith in the Lord's Supper, or as I would like to call it this morning, the King's Family Meal. With all that in mind, this is the word of the Lord. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man. By whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In the culinary world, they call it elevation. Elevation, in cooking terms, is when you take something simple and you add a key ingredient and all of a sudden that simple dish is elevated to something magical. For example, there's not much more simple than a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. Kids love it, simple to make. Simple to eat, but 
if you want to elevate it, you can make some homemade macaroni. You could throw in some marinated chicken and some vegetables with it. And now you've got an adult elevated version of macaroni and cheese. And you can enjoy that elevated dinner like you are five years old again. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is a culinary master here. And he is taking the, the simple ritual of Passover. He's taking the most simplest of foods and bread and a simple cup of wine, and he is elevating it. He is transforming it into something new. He is turning it into a meaningful meal with his kingdom and his family to present to us the hope of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, Jesus not only can elevate this meal, I want you to hear me, he can elevate you and me. He can take us at our simplest, most basic form and change us by his Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. This is the hope of the gospel that we remember when we participate in this king's meal. Brothers and sisters, just as Jesus transforms this meal into a symbol of his cross, Jesus can transform your life. Brothers and sisters, some of us have taken this meal hundreds and hundreds of times. But I want you to pause and reflect and ask yourself if you have that transformation in your life. If Jesus has taken old you and transformed you by his power, by his resurrection power through the Holy Spirit and made you new, just like he takes this old mill and transforms it into something new. Beyond any information you may gain about the Lord's Supper, what you need the most is to take Christ and let him change your life. Now, I want to walk through this passage And note three different sections. There's three episodes that happen on this night. The first section, the first episode that happens in verse 12 to 16 is a time of preparation. Look at verses 12 to 16. Mark writes, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. As the sun sets on that Thursday evening, Israel is getting ready to celebrate the Passover. They are remembering the night that God rescued his people out of Egypt, the story of Moses. Israel had been slaves In Egypt for 400 years. And God had given Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, every opportunity to let his people go free and to worship him in truth. 
And Pharaoh refuses every opportunity. And so God saves his people through judgment. God rescues his people through death. In every house in Egypt, the oldest son will die. Unless the people of Israel kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doors. And so in every house, Egyptian or Israelite, in Egypt that night, there will be blood. There will be a death. It will either be the son or it will be the lamb. Exodus 12, verse 13, God says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so 1,500 years before this event in Mark, God gives his people another family meal, a family meal where they will celebrate this act of God for generations and where they will use the simple plate of food and drink at the table to teach their kids who God is and what he has done for them. That's why Exodus 12, verse 26 to 27, God says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. When we come to Mark 14, this is what Jesus is celebrating. This is what he is preparing with his disciples to do and remember. The night before Jesus dies, he's remembering when God saved Israel through the death of the lamb and the blood of the lamb on the door. But Jesus is going to elevate this meal. He's going to take the most sacred tradition of Israel and change it completely. And transform it into something new to point to a new death and a new sacrifice. But you know how it is. Holidays are a lot of work. If you've ever prepared the Thanksgiving turkey, you know what I'm talking about. It takes hours to get ready for that meal. For all the sides, all the, all the plates that you want to serve to your, your family, it is going to take some time, unless you cheat, right, and get that meal catered. The pre Even then, you've got to prepare and call the caterer and make sure you get exactly what you need. And if you've ever wrapped some presents on Christmas, you know how much time it takes to prepare for these special days. That's what's going on in verses 12 to 16. Jesus is getting that turkey ready. Jesus is wrapping some presents. Jesus sends two of his guys to get things ready, and he tells them they're going to find a man with a jug, which is interesting. In that day, it would have been a woman, typically. But God has, has given them a, a man who's going to be carrying a water jug to look for he tells them to go to a house and tell them simply, the teacher needs the place. Now, if you read this passage, brothers and sisters, you'll notice Mark does not teach explicitly that this was a miracle. 
Like, we've kind of picked that up along the way, but Mark doesn't exactly teach that. It could have been. It might have been that Jesus made good plans, and now he's following through with them. What it does emphasize in this passage, what Mark explicitly said, is what we heard last week. Everything is under control. Verse 16, the disciples found it exactly like Jesus told them. Another message on the night before the cross. Nothing is about to catch God off guard here. He's been planning for this beyond 1,500 years before the Passover even happened. He knew this day was coming. Every detail of this family meal was prepared. That's really important to remember when you start to look around the table and see the group that is eating with Jesus. It is not very impressive. The second section I want you to see in this passage is the room full of guilt in verses 17 to 21. Let's read those verses. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. If you've ever prepared for a wedding feast or a banquet, a reception at a wedding, you know one of the most tedious tasks of this preparation is to plan the guest list, to plan on who gets invited into this special meal, perhaps even where they're going to sit in the room. On this special night, as the king shares his meal, it almost looks like a mistake because the people invited to the reception are entirely a bunch of misfits and rebels, people who don't exactly deserve to be invited to the wedding feast. And Jesus knows that too. Verse 18, he says, one of you is an imposter. One of you is, is, is going to stab me in the back after the last three years together. I know what you're about to do to me. And see, we got an unfair advantage here. If you've been working through the book of Mark, if you read the book of Mark, you know who Jesus is talking about all the way back in chapter 3. We know it's Judas. But the disciples, they don't know. They're confused. They're perplexed. And that's where you really see how unworthy the room is. In verse 19, all 12 disciples wonder if they're the one who's going to betray Jesus. Peter, James, John, all of them are right next to Judas. When Jesus says somebody's going to betray him, they all think it could be them. They know their hearts enough to know that that's not impossible. Jesus could be talking about them. And so at this special family meal, the appetizer is self-doubt. They're all chewing on the fact that they are capable of betraying their Savior. 
because each one of them is a sinner. And Jesus is calling them all out on that. If you think about the Lord's Supper, you've got to quickly think about the famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci. And mostly that painting is a fairly tame depiction of the night. There's a couple guys in there that look a little curious, maybe a little concerned. But as Dave Garland writes, the most appropriate portrait of the Last Supper would paint each disciple's face with a look of horror. They eat and drink in an atmosphere of sorrow and worry. This isn't a family meal where everybody feels blessed to be there right up front. Jesus has just punched everyone in the room in the gut. And they're terrified of what might come next for them and what might come next for Christ. What does all that say? What does the reaction of of horror tell us? It's a message of the gospel, brothers and sisters. The fact that this is happening and everyone in the room is convinced that they might be the reason that Jesus dies is a message that no one gets invited to the table because of their performance. No one gets invited to the Lord's Supper because of their greatness and their goodness. Everyone, everyone at the table is there because of grace. Everyone at the table is there because of Jesus' greatness. And that's exactly like the Passover. When they were celebrating the Passover, they weren't celebrating Israel's greatness over Egypt. They were celebrating the Lord and his grace. That's why if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, Moses says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Friend, the first step to life with God is to recognize you don't deserve it. The first step to be a part of the family meal is to recognize that you have not earned a seat. Have you ever come to grips with that fact? Are you trying to earn a spot at the table through your obedience, through your performance, through your goodness? You'll never get a reservation that way. You'll never gain access to this feast, to this banquet, to the grace of Christ by trying to be good enough. Jesus invites sinners to life with him because of his performance in his life of obedience and his death on the cross and his resurrection and because of nothing that we have done. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know they are 
capable to be like Judas. Because those are the ones who turn and believe. And friends, there's two ways to respond to that. You can be like those 11 disciples at the table, nodding your head, knowing the seeds of betrayal in your own heart and recognizing, yeah, it could be you. Or you could be like Judas and hear Jesus call you out in your sin and harden your heart and go for it anyway and stay on the path of destruction. And the option is up to you. As the writer in Hebrews says, Hebrews 3 verse 15, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Friend, hear that invitation of grace. We're not taking the Lord's Supper today. We're taking it next week. But everyone in this room has the opportunity to take Christ. If you have never taken the Lord Jesus Christ to be your substitute, to be your sacrifice, to be your Savior, that's the meal that you need to take today. It's to turn from your effort in trying to be good enough for God and to admit that's never going to happen and to rest in what Jesus did to make you more than good enough, to make you righteous in his eyes. And Jesus proclaims this simple truth with this simple meal as we look at the third section. Verse 22 to 25, friends, I want to show you a table full of promise. A table full of promise. Look at verses 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then if you see verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We love our traditions. We love celebrating holidays the same way we've always celebrated them. One of the things that I love, particularly on a Christmas Eve, is to be with church family, and sing Silent Night. And honestly, there's, there's a lot of other songs that you could sing, but if you don't sing Silent Night, it's going to bother me a little bit. That's the one I want to sing. Now, you may have something like that in your home, a tradition that you like to keep. But Jesus is here to make all things new. And again, he is making the Passover new. He is taking the Jewish sacred day of Passover, and changing it. The fathers, they always spoke these traditional blessings during the meal. There were four cups, there were four stages, and each part of the meal there was a different written statement that the fathers were to make over the meal. And as Jesus shares this Passover, he breaks away from the tradition Because you'll notice in the book of Mark, none of those blessings are there. He skips it. Like somebody skipping Silent Night on Christmas Eve. You know that had to bother some of those Jewish brothers. 
but he's making it new. He's elevating it, and he's got a new blessing for the people because something new is happening. They're no longer remembering Egypt. They are watching Jesus announce and act out what he is going to do tomorrow. Instead of looking back, these brothers are looking ahead to what Jesus will do the next day on the cross. And as he speaks a new blessing, he gives two promises. The first promise he speaks is the promise of a new Passover. He takes that bread, the simplest element he could possibly take, and he says, this is me. This is my body. This is everything that I am, my whole self. I want you to take me. Take a share in who I am. Participate with me in my own death. I am giving you, child of God, everything that I am. And then he takes a cup of wine. And Jesus says, this bitter drink is my blood. This is a symbol of what gives me life. And it is going to be poured out for many. And just as I pour this drink into the cup and you, you hear that, you are going to hear my blood poured out on the ground for any who would believe in me. Both elements, brothers and sisters, point to the promise of substitution, to the promise of a Passover. In Egypt, again, the only way to be saved was by the blood of a lamb on the door. And in this new meal, Jesus is declaring the only way to be saved, the only way to be right with God is if you take my blood and put it on the door of your heart. Because if you don't take my blood and put it on the door of your heart, God's wrath will strike you down like the Spirit struck down the firstborn in Egypt. There will be a death one way or the other, and you get to choose which death it will be. Jesus put his body on the cross to take our place. Jesus poured out his blood to take our punishment. When we take this bread and we take this cup, we are declaring that we cannot do this before God, that we cannot earn our salvation, that we must exchange ourselves with Christ, and his work must count for us. God brings us salvation through judgment. Did you hear that? The good news of the gospel is God will rescue you through judgment itself, through the death of his son. Mark 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, his body and his blood as a ransom for many. We've sung about it this morning. This table reminds us of that great exchange. And I just want to be crystal clear about this so that you know what this meal represents and you know what the offer is on the table if you've never taken Christ. We do not give God our Sunday best. We do not dress ourselves up so that we might impress him. We give God our sin. We give God our filth. We give God our unworthiness so that he can take that and put it on Christ and crush it and kill it and cancel the record of our pollution and sin. And that's only half of the trade. 
Because then God takes the obedience and the righteousness and the holiness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and removes it from him so that he is nothing but sin. And he gives it to us. And he puts the righteousness and perfection of his son Jesus in our life, in our heart, in our spirit, in our soul, so that when he sees us, we are Christ. And we are as holy and perfect and divine and righteous as he is. And the only way to have life with God is to go through that exchange. If you hold on to anything of your own, you will perish. But if you take hold of Christ, you will have life. Friends, if you have never made that exchange, I again call on you to be reconciled with God and to make that exchange today. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18, Paul writes, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. All of this is from him. The Passover of Christ is from him. The blood and the body of Christ is from him. The life that we can have with him today, the meal that we can share with him forever is from him. Believer, church family, you need to let this holy meal, the Lord's Supper, remind you of that every time we take it. Take advantage of the reminder that God has instituted and set in place to be reminded of the worth of Christ and the reality that you don't have to perform for him and what he has done for you. God has taken all five of our senses in this meal to preach the truth of the gospel. As we see the, the bread broken, as we, as we smell the bitterness of the grape, as, as we, we taste it, as we hear it poured, as we feel the crumbs in our hand, that we are reminded of all that Christ stands for and all that his death has accomplished and the power of his resurrection. The, the Lord's Supper, friends, is not something that saves us. It is not something that makes us right with God. It is a reminder to strengthen us that we are already saved and already right with God. Take that encouragement and reminder. As J.C. Ryle says, rest in Christ more simply and trust in him more wholly. I want to show you one other promise that he makes. We tend to neglect it. Jesus promises a new table and a new meal in the kingdom of God. Verse 25 Jesus says, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus makes a vow that he will never eat the bread or drink the cup of wine again until he meets us in the new kingdom and has it with us then. And we see a picture of that. Revelation 19 verse 9, John writes, the angel said to me, write this Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 
Friend, if you take the Lord's Supper and you're not looking forward, you're doing it wrong. We want to look back at what Jesus has done at the cross, but we want to look forward at what he's going to do when he returns. Jesus is promising that he is going to make things new. He's going to make things right. He's going to finish what he started. Jesus uses this meal as a sign of the promise that whatever is about to happen in your life, God is, has it in control. And he's going to work for your good. And if he's given you his body and his blood, what will he not offer you? Friends, Jesus is promising us every time we take this meal that he's going to bring us home. And that's why we can leave this table and we can leave this room and face the trials that we do today. And you see that with Jesus. He finishes the meal the night before the cross in in a paragraph before every disciple abandons him. Jesus is singing, celebrating, joyful because he sees what God is going to do. He's probably singing Psalm 118. I want you to hear the words that Christ sang before he died. Verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 22 and 24, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In verse 28 and 29, Jesus would sing, you are my God. And I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Friend, because of what Jesus has done for you and me on the cross, when we take this meal and remember all that it represents, we can go to our cross. We can take up our cross. And sing that same song. Because Jesus not only transforms this meal, Jesus transforms us to be more like that singing Savior. Who can endure the cross with joy because the resurrection's coming. Brothers and sisters, may we have that joy. May we be able to sing that song every time we take the King's family meal. Let us pray.